with the ghost of radio and welcome back to this our podcast where we think about talk about share and make sense of episodes of mid-century horror radio it seems like a reasonable thing to do doesn't it to listen to something and then commune over it i hope that it does since you're here and that's what we do so let's jump into our cauldron full of old-time radio episodes and see what exactly it is that we pull out this time. Azut! Ah, it is the house that time forgot on murder at midnight. The episode is called The House That Time Forgot. The series is Murder at Midnight. This will be a very interesting one to dive into. I am eager for you to return and tell me what you thought. All right, so do that. Go off. Listen. Go to Relic Radio. It's there. Go to any internet browser and type murder at midnight radio and you will find it. The house that time forgot goes in a direction you don't expect. Brings a new and creepy meaning to my words when I say, why don't you go off and listen to it and then return back here. But I'm saying it anyway, so off you go. See you soon. All right, we're back. We're back from our confused visit down to the dock where the Viking second has been recently vacated, and now we come back to our own front door and it's locked. Who's going to answer it? What did you make of this episode? It's funny, I like this episode a lot, yet I had completely forgotten about it, and it was great to revisit it. How often can you say that? It was great to revisit it. Ah, the house that time forgot. The whole vibe of it is unusual, even though it has many plot points that are beyond commonplace for mid-century horror radio. You know what they are by now. But the vibe is so... It's... What's the word I want? It's caring and friendly. We have a married couple who don't argue with each other and turn on each other and seem to truly care about each other and support each other through a difficult situation. We have two of those couples, actually. When our couple meet the ghost, when Eva and Fred meet uh, Richard and Diana, it couldn't be more friendly on both sides, and both sides are really trying to help each other. And that's what makes it the more tragic, right? Plus, this very simple story ends up having a lot of deep, thought-provoking aspects, and in that way, it reminds us of Quiet, Please. So this is Murder at Midnight, which was a short-lived series uh, in the 40s. And this episode was from 1946, just after the war. And you know by now why I laugh and I can't say the title normally and just say Murder at Midnight. What's hilarious is they there are a lot of episodes that are about murder, in the series, if you go to you listen more than one episode of Murder at Midnight, there, I did it. Lots of episodes involve murder, and it does happen at midnight. They will contrive any way they can to get that to happen at midnight. 
And if, as in this episode, it fails to happen at midnight, they will just keep asking you if you think it's going to happen at midnight. What will Fred and Eva find next? Could it be murder at midnight? Well, they found their bit and they were sticking with it. So you can't argue too much, especially when the episode is good. And this one is, so let's get right, right into it. Um, We will begin, as always, with the intro of the show. And it, you know, we talked last episode in episode one of season two, I'll Die Laughing, about the time wasting with Oregon that the sealed book did, that series. There is some time wasting with the Oregon here, but it's only really at the start. They don't do it over and over again like the sealed book did. Uh, I'll just play the little snippet that is the very intro before they do a little preview of the show, and then we'll go into the main organ intro. Murder at That little door opening sound you hear at the end there is the beginning of their little preview of the Jordans trying to come back to their house. What would horror radio do without Big Ben? You know, there's just something about the baleful gonging of a huge, enormous clock. It's used in so many episodes. Not always Big Ben, but a big grandfather clock. Why, there's one in this episode. And we know that Lights Out uses it uh, as their constant intro, you play just that note, just that note that Big Ben sounds in, you've set a pretty good tone. But I wonder, even as I say it, if it's even possible now. Maybe this is something that could only happen and have meaning in and be associated with the 30s and 40s. I don't know. When you hear it, you know, to me, it makes me think of the Edward R. Murrow reports from World War II in London, where it would always start with Big Ben chiming, and I don't know, that fog-bound, dark, and I don't know, romantic in a way, but also a little bit of foreboding that that sound of Big Ben brings. It's time-bound, and when somebody finds these episodes of ours in a time capsule a hundred years from now, they won't get what we're talking about, even if Big Ben still exists. I don't know if it would stir this feeling in people today who are under the age of 30 or even 40. Let's say 30, (laughs) just to put some kind of a date on it, because time is important in this episode, right? We have to understand what's going on with time. But before we get into the episode, we have to get through the intro. And so let the organ take you away as Murder at Midnight begins. And it's not like I'm trying to say there's a ton of organ. Um, I'm not going to play here in our episode the long, longer organ runs, but it's just so insistent and so iconic and idiosyncratic to this show. And that's just that womp, womp, womp. It's like some baseball field organ became possessed, became evil, started dating Satan, and this is what happened to it. <laughs> Midnight, the witching hour when the night is darkest, our fears the strongest, and our strength at its lowest ebb. 
midnight, when the graves gape open and death strikes. How? You'll learn the answer in just a minute in The House That Time Forgot. Great, it's all done. That wasn't too bad, and we can start our story. And now, Murder at Midnight, Tales of Mystery and Terror by Radio's Masters of the Macabre. Our story by Sigmund Miller is The House That Time Forgot. All right, and we're racing off into the story. And let's just begin it. We meet Fred and Eva driving, and I am just going to let it roll, and I'm going to note with a bong each time a well-worn retread of horror radio is is brought to you that you're exposed to it because they pack in a lot of them in a relatively short introduction to our story but the wily and experienced listener hearing it hears how you know how worn out so many of these these tropes are even by 1946 it's not like it's even the late 50s and it can lead you to think this show may not be up to snuff. So you're surprised when it turns out to be so good. But let's critically listen. Early evening Bong. on a desolate part of the Virginia coast. Bong. Along a road near the beach comes a car with two people in it. Bong. I guess we've done enough looking for today, Eva. Oh, it's really beautiful country around here, dear. Wild and lovely. Mm-hmm. Darling, if we can't find a house, Bong. perhaps we should buy some land and build. Well, we'd better start back to town. It's getting dark. I, I think we're in for a storm. Oh, look, Fred. Hmm? Look at that house we're coming to. Huh. Oh, now, isn't it a beauty? Bong. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nobody that owns that one would want to sell it. Drive slowly, dear. I'd like to take a good look at it. All right. Bong. There's a for sale sign. Yeah? This house for sale. See Mr. Cecil Smith. Westfield, Virginia. Oh, that's interesting. Well, let's drive in there, into the grounds. I'd oh, like we to... can come back tomorrow. Bong. It's really starting to blow up. But Bong. it'll only take a minute. I've, I've just got to have a close look. All right, but we're going to get caught in the rain. I'll back in to save time. We'll watch the fenders on that side. All right, dear, I'll watch. Come ahead. Am I clear? Okay, you're all right. Fine, fine. Ah, there's a light in one of the gable windows. Bong. I guess somebody's home. Beautiful, Fred. Simply magnificent. Yeah, the grounds look a little neglected, though. Grounds? Bong. Who cares about that? Go ahead and knock. Okay. Bong. That's 15 o'clock. Stay tuned for Clichés Past Midnight. You know, the couple, married couple, looking for a house, can't find anything. I've been out all day. Now a storm's coming up and it's getting late and the husband wants to stop looking. But the wife is dead set on finding a house and at the last second they see one and it's beautiful though isolated and he doesn't want to stop. Let's come back tomorrow. But she says, no, no, let's look now. And so they pull up and it is beautiful though it looks abandoned, but there's a light in there and they go up to the door and knock. Needless to say, horror ensues, or at least supernatural collision. Part of this is the time frame. It's 1946, and really for a longer time than you might expect, maybe a decade after 
World War II ended in America, well, not that World War II ended in America, in America, after World War II ended, there was a housing shortage because GIs who were returning were able to get loans. It was part of the GI Bill to make life easier for those who had served, mostly for men. And one of the things they could do was get house loans at really good terms. And so a lot of people who would never have bought their own home did, or they wanted to after the war. And we could go into a long, long, long session on the impact this had on following history, but we won't. We will just say that for a good decade after the war, this was a common trope of the couple just married because he just got back from the war who are trying desperately to find a house and can't. And there's one story, oh my God, there's a story called The House in Cypress Canyon that will permanently change the way you think about this, this trope. You could take something, that's from the late 50s, you could take something that by that time was cliche and maybe even starting to die out a little bit because all of the suburban building had, had been underway and it just stands it on its head to be one of the scariest stories on earth. We are not there. We are here safely in our story that is remarkably caring and compassionate and thank goodness for that. What makes the show so appealing is that usually in these situations, these stories, the man is, you know, humoring the woman, oh, these dumb broads, you know, they gotta be, they're, they're not sensible and they're crazy and they're house crazy and they're, you know, it's a storm coming. <laughs> There's always a storm coming, but they ridiculously press forward. But here, you don't get any of that, and it is a welcome relief to have not one, but two married couples who are very likable and seem to actually love each other. But the next cliche that's coming, which knows no time bounds, is not restricted in any way to any particular type of story, but appears all of the time and never fails to blow my ghostly mind, is coming up right now. Hey. What? I hear something. Listen. It's a clock striking. Now let's let's try the door. What? It's not locked. Are you freaking me? Uh, what do you think? Uh, uh well, uh, let's go uh, in. Are, are you freaking me? Have you ever been in a situation where you were at a strange door of a house or an apartment? and you knock and nobody's there, and you try the handle. Have you ever even done that? Have you ever been at a stranger's house or apartment and put your hand on the ever-loving doorknob to see if the door is locked? And then, have you ever just gone in? This happens all of the time in these stories. I cannot. You know what? You get what you deserve if you do that. And they always make it seem so natural, like, oh, the door's open, so oh, let's just go in and we'll, we'll say, hello, is anyone there? It makes me think of the Arrested Development episode where they flash back to Job when he's working as a stripper with hot cops and he goes to the door of a motel and he bangs on it and says, open up, police. And he bends over, he crouches down 
to get something out of his bag and like a sawed off shotgun blasts open the top part of the door. That's what would happen to you if you went to a stranger's abode, tried the handle, and then went in. I, it's something that I have had literal nightmares about that I just walk into a stranger's house. But these people, there's no, no compunction at all. Damn it, mid-century radio. It's, I don't know how this became a thing. It is very hard, if not impossible, to suspend your disbelief here. But I'm going to try to drag myself away from this and go on with the story. You see, Mrs. Jordan, it's kind of hard to put your finger on it. There's something very queer about the house. Huh? Oh. <laughs> you mean it's haunted? Well, I don't know exactly, Mr. Jordan. No one has seen a ghost there yet. <laughs> well, we we don't mind ghosts, do we, Fred? <laughs> no, no, we don't believe in them. Well, I, I didn't say it was haunted, but, well, people say that the house is alive, that that it has a life and a will of its own. A life? Well, I don't know what you mean. Well, I've had four caretakers in the Holloway house since I took possession of it, and none of them stayed more than a few days. Well, why did they quit? I don't know. They didn't see any ghosts or apparitions, but they all felt the same way, that, that the house was alive. This seems like just a small thing, but I think it's actually very important. The house seems alive. You don't see any ghosts. The house seems alive. This is where, once you've listened, obviously after the first listen, because the first listen is devoted to thinking about plot, but after that, you think, is it the house that we're actually dealing with here that keeps calling back the Holloways? It's not that they keep returning the house of their own free will to haunt it, but that the house keeps forcing them to come back. And how does it do that? Is it every time that clock is wound, the house is given the power to call these people back from their eternal rest? Is that it? You, you find yourself wondering, at first you think, this is a time loop story. This is a time loop where this keeps happening where this has happened a hundred times. There are little things that are said during the episode that make you think this is a loop. But then you think, no, no, it just happened the one time, right? It's, it's a one-time deal because they end the story with Fred and Eva saying they're never going to wind that clock again. But accidents happen, right? Maybe somehow the house forces them to wind that clock, and it happens again and again. We'll get to the little hints that come later that make you think time loop. Time loop is one of my favorite types of story. There are a few tremendous time loop stories in mid-century horror radio, and it's just, it's a bit I love. And so I'm going to go with time loop in this, and that it's the house that's doing it. Maybe just the clock. Maybe the clock animates the house to bring these people back, you know, with, I would say against their will, maybe it is, I don't know, without their understanding or knowledge, maybe they just keep reliving the last night of their lives over and over. Oh, there's a lot to think about, and it's all good. Now, as Mr. Smith, Mr. Cecil Smith, goes on with the story, he brings up the friends. And of course, in that first lesson, you don't know yet, you don't know. 
that it's actually Eva and Fred. But now that we do know, and we're into this story, what, you know, this is the time loop element. It has already mm. happened, okay? When they're standing there and they're talking with Smith for the very first time and hearing this story for the very first time, they have already gone back in time and warned the Holloways. It has already happened. And then we're going to hear it happen again. And so this has got to tell you time loop. And even without knowing that, you know, on your very first listen, the conversation is eerie, but it's more so once you do have it firmly in mind. They never came back. Oh? They had two friends visiting them who refused to go with them. The strangest part about it is that these friends warned them that they'd never return alive from the cruise. The Holloways left at them. Oh, well, well, how did they know, these friends, that the Holloways wouldn't come back? I don't know. Nobody knows. Well, uh, did, did you talk to these friends? No, I never saw them. Uh, I only know about it through John Gabriel. He was the Holloway's butler. Oh. He's been dead for two years now. As a matter of fact, even Gabriel didn't know these friends. He'd never seen them before. Huh? It's a mystery that I've thought about for years, uh, I'm afraid it's going to be a mystery forever. And again, what seems like a throwaway line just to provoke some spooky feelings, it'll be a mystery forever. Time loop, right? This has been happening, you know, not forever. It's 1946. It's been happening since 1939. But it will go on forever. I think that's what he meant to say, right? It's a mystery that will go on forever. I love the time loop, even though it's it's a terrible, it's a terrible thing to be caught up in a time loop. I guess if you never realize it, what difference does it make? And then we enter into all those thought puzzles that humans love to have, like, what if each of us was living our lives over and over again, infinitely? Or what if everything is a dream or a parallel universe, and we just don't know it? Well, if you just don't know it, then that tree fell in the woods and it didn't make a sound, so it doesn't matter. And that's where our friend horror comes in, because sometimes people who are caught in a time loop in these stories on the radio realize it, which is horrible. And even if they don't, we do. And it's awareness. It's becoming aware of the trap that you're in. That is the money melon of horror. All right, let's follow the Jordans into their new house and see what transpires. Well, here we are, darling, our house. Mm, I hope we'll like it. Oh, of course we will. Let's go in. Mm -hmm. Do you have the key, dear? Yes, but we don't need it. The door was open, remember? Oh, yes, yes, that's right. Hey. It's locked again. Oh, Mr. Smith must have locked it. There we go. Here you go, dear. Well, look. Hmm? Darling, everything clean, dusted. Why, it's spotless. Oh, now, Mr. Smith really is a dear. Hey, it looks lived in, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I told you we'd like it. Uh. Let's just ignore the weird drunk sound that Fred just made there and get baffled. All right, so the house is already alive. It is already set in motion to call the Holloways back. And in fact, in the house, it is that day already. It's already that last day of the Holloways' life. So 
who wound the clock. This is where our little neat little theory gets confusing because they've heard the clock chiming multiple times and there has been apparently nobody inside the house. So who's winding the clock? Does clock even need someone to wind it? Does it wind itself? Are Fred and Eva hopelessly caught up in this now? Weren't they already hopelessly caught up in it because everything has already happened to them? The whole theory that we need Fred and Eva to wind the clock to make this happen, or somebody to do it, Mr. Smith, whoever it may be, is kind of threatened here because nobody has wound that clock. I think I'm going to have to rest for the moment with the idea that the house is winding it. The energy of the house winds the clock. I, I'm going to stick with that for now. But there's a worse horror that's about to transpire in the next scene. So brace yourselves. Oh, the bedroom is even bigger than I thought. Look at the beds. What? Someone has slept in them. That man Mr. Smith sent to clean the house must have slept in it. Yes, and he apparently slept in both beds. There are two beds on the radio? You may know that in the U.S. in the 50s and 60s, you could not show a married couple sleeping in the same bed or even sitting up talking together in the same bed. I believe that in the 70s, the Brady Bunch was the first show that showed the mom and dad fully deeply pajamaed in one bed together. But on the radio, what is it we're going to see? <laughs> Why do they have to have two beds? And it's so funny because when he says to her, look at that, the beds have been slept in. When he says beds, plural, a little trill of organ goes, Bruh. and then they make a point of saying it again. Well, he slept in them both. It's like they want to just be very sure and clear that we know These people are not sleeping in the same bed. Oh my gosh. These funny little things will come up in a story and they just break the mood. Let's try to claw it back. So the clock is chiming after they see the beds have been slept in and Fred wants to get to the bottom of it. And again, now I'm wondering who wound the clock? Is it just a myth that the clock needs winding at all? Well, let's see if Mr. Smith has any answers to share with us about this. The clock we heard the first time we were here. Eva, I just can't shake off the feeling that someone is still living here. You're being ridiculous. Well, maybe I am, but I I feel like an intruder. Darling, it's it's that story Mr. Smith told us about the Holloways and their mysterious friends. It's got you all keyed up. Yeah, well, I'm going to call Mr. Smith and find out about that cleaning man you think he sent here. Well, of course... He never sent a cleaning man. There is no cleaning man. And again, this is a moment at which the show could have really overdone, overacted. But there's a nice touch of underplayed realism to this show. And in the next scene where they are, you know, everywhere they go in the house, they see traces of someone already having been there. The fire is lit and there's a hot teapot on the table. But none of that activity is really presented as threatening in itself. You're not scared of this ghost. I think Fred makes that so clear when he says that he feels like an intruder in someone's house. It's not, 
I live here and I'm being threatened by a ghost that's trying to get rid of me. He feels like he is an intruder in an authentic life, somebody else's authentic life. He feels like he's in somebody else's house. And it's that kind of empathy that really sets this episode apart. Now, as night begins to fall, and it is night 1939, the last night of the Holloway's lives, the house seems to be coming more and more alive. The fire is going in the fireplace. There's hot tea on the table, etc. And Fred gets wigged out, of course. And what he says is, and you'll see in the next little clip, somebody else is in this room with us right now. Somebody else is here. And oh, you don't get it on the first listen. But when you listen again, you realize the people who are already there living with Fred and Eva are Fred and Eva. They are the ghosts. They are part of it. They have been in this time loop repeating, repeating what they sense is their own presence in the original action. Ugh, it's so deeply layered. Oh, who can explain a time loop? We'd, we would need our friend Ernest Chapel from Quiet Please to really help us understand all of the ins and outs of this, but that's what a time loop is. It may be 1946 to you, but you actually were from 1939, and you're just going to keep looping that around, and so you sense your own selves about to show up in the house. It's great. Let's listen. I don't understand it. I, I just... Cellar to attic, and there's no one here. But it's incredible. Someone is living here, and we can't see them. It doesn't make sense. There's somebody here right now, right in this room. It sounds crazy, but I know it. Fred. What? The clock. What about it? It, it just struck midnight, and it's, it's only 10 o'clock. What did she say? Oh, I'm sorry. What did she say? That it was midnight? A house that is deserted, except for invisible tenants, and a clock that is running backwards. Has it just struck twelve for... Murder at midnight? I told you they would find a way to work it in. It must be midnight, even though there is no murder. You, at least it's it's half the deal. So the next obligatory scene that comes up is awaking in the dead of night. So somehow, despite all of this, they go to bed and they fall asleep. Seems like that would be hard to do, but this is mid-century horror radio. And just like we had the 15 gongs of tired out plot things, I won't gong over this scene, but having somebody be awakened out of a sound sleep after a night of horror, or at least deep confusion and fear, and A, have them been asleep so soundly. Unless they took a sedative, you know that's always a chance. They didn't mention it here, though. They're sound asleep, that's our first question. Second, they take like 90 seconds of airtime to wake up and they have to uh, keep talking like, oh, like this because they're so sleepy. 
oh, there are a few things that annoy me more than that. And I'm sorry it had to happen this episode, but at least it's brief, and at least it introduces us to the thick of the action, so let's get through it. Fred? Mm. Fred, wake up. Huh? Get up. Huh? What? What is it, dear? What's, what's the matter? Look out there, out the window. Why? Get up and take a look. Oh. At what? That boat out there in the inlet? It must have put in while we were sleepy. Can't you read the name, dear? Huh? It's the Viking Second. The Viking Second? Yes. Wasn't that the Holloway's yacht? The one that never came back? That's what Mr. Smith said. Uh, either Mr. Smith is a fantastic liar or something very fantastic is happening to us. Perhaps the Holloways have finally come back. After seven years? It, it doesn't make sense, none of it. Yeah, that's putting it mildly. Darling, we... We ought to take a close look at the boat. You don't sound very enthusiastic about it. But yes, I suppose we ought to. Whoever's on it might be able to tell us something. And if there's nobody there, we'll just barge in. So, just like with the house, they go down to someone's private property. Maybe I'm uptight. But again, if I saw a boat tied up, like big enough that it has, you know, a hold below, living quarters below, and there was nobody there, I don't know if I'd just get on it, start walking around, opening doors. Maybe that's just me. But everything there is recently vacated. There were clearly people recently aboard this boat called the Viking Second. Weird name. The name of the Holloway's boat. And so they get spooked and they immediately return to the house and there's no time wasted with them. Like, what could it be? What is it? I don't understand. And the fact that they do that is not just perhaps good writing, but again, some part of them knows what's going to happen. Some part of them knows they are caught up in this time loop. Some part of them knows what they are scheduled to do and what their role is. They are as trapped in their roles as the Holloways are in theirs, or John Gabriel is in his, or Cecil Smith is, because they are all caught up in this. And that's what makes it so powerful and scary, even though, again, the ghosts aren't really scary, and they're not ghosts when you meet them because you actually have gone back in time. That's the time loop. These aren't ghosts. These are real people because it is 1939. They're not talking to dead people, which means they are not dead, which means they were alive in 1939, which means time loop. Thank you. Yes, time loop. Lights are on in the living room. Did you put them on? Just one of the lamps, a floor lamp. Well, all the ceiling lights are lit. Yes, I can see that, dear. Let's go in. Here. The door's locked. We didn't even close it when we went out. No. I remember. We left it open. Good evening. Who are you? I beg your pardon. I said, who are you? I'm John Gabriel, butler to the Holloways. Gabriel? What? That's right, ma'am. Whom do you wish to see? We don't want to see anyone. We, we live here. I'm afraid you're mistaken, sir. The Holloways live here, have been living here for years. But this is our house. We bought it. And, and, and the Holloways are dead. Dead? Yes. I'm afraid someone has misinformed you. This is, this is like a nightmare. Look here, Gabriel, or whoever you really are. We bought this house from Cecil Smith, a real estate agent in Westfield. He's not the kind of a man who plays practical jokes. No, he's not. He's a very sober man indeed. He told us you were dead, too. 
As you can see, madam, I'm very much alive. Oh, the, this is crazy. We'd better talk to the people who call themselves the Holloways. Perhaps you should. They'll be in any minute. Please come in, won't you? Now, despite all the sharp words and the name-calling that Gabriel endures, he politely invites uh, Fred and Evan in to have some tea and to wait for the Holloways. <laughs> so this is a nice guy, and he works for nice people. And the influence of having to sit there, they wait for an hour, Fred and Eva. Would you have waited for an hour? Maybe you wouldn't have. Maybe you would have gotten mad. Maybe you would have gotten scared. You would have left unless you had been there before and you had to be there and you had to play your part over and over again. Well, let's meet the world's nicest people. Again, not ghosts, but real people, the Holloways, and they know how to welcome the unexpected guest. As soon as Mr. and Mrs. Holloway arrive, I'm sure you'll be convinced of your error. They should be here any minute since they plan to leave tonight on a cruise. Oh, this is mad. Fantastic. Uh, ah, they've come. Just missed the storm, Gabriel. Oh, hello. I don't believe I know you. This is Mr. and Mrs. Jordan, Mr. and Mrs. Holloway. Oh, I'm glad to meet you, Mrs. Jordan. Mr. Jordan. Well, thank you. you. Are you Richard Holloway? Yes. I can't believe it. I... It's all terribly confusing, Mr. Holloway. These people claim that this is their house. What? That they bought it from Cecil Smith. They also claim that you, Mrs. Holloway, and myself are dead. Somebody's playing some kind of a joke on them. Well, I'd say it was a very unpleasant joke, Dick. We've been living here for years and years, Mr. and Mrs. Jordan. Oh, uh, before I forget, Gabriel, uh, get our suitcases aboard the yacht, will you? We'll be leaving in a few minutes. Yes, sir, right away. Fred, do you suppose that maybe we're dreaming this? Well, if we are, we're dreaming it together. Girl, you are not dreaming. You are reliving and there's a nice scene coming up. We'll play just this little scene where Fred gets on the horn to Mr. Smith. And it's just a nice little line where um, Richard is showing him where the phone is. He says, I know. <laughs> I know where my own phone is. Um, but there's just more time loopiness thrown in when Mr. Smith says he has no idea who Fred is. I'm sorry. I don't know how this happened to you. Uh, perhaps you'd better stay here for the night. There's plenty of room. And we'd be delighted to have you. Uh, would you mind if I called Mr. Smith? Oh, please do. The phone's right there on the table. I know. Thanks. Operator. Operator, let me have Westfield 403. Never. Hello, Mr. Smith? That's right. Uh, this is Mr. Jordan. Who? Uh, Fred Jordan. Remember, you sold me the Holloway house? The Holloway house? Yes. You must be mistaken. I never sold it. That property's not for sale. What are you talking about? Who is this? Listen, Mr. Smith, you know very well who I am. You won't get away with this. I'll have you brought into court now. I never heard of you in my life. You must be crazy. Goodbye. Now that is the way to hang up on somebody. This wins the Agnes Moorhead Hanging Up on Somebody Award. Uh, we enjoyed the way she hung up several times, three or four times on people she was furious with in the episode Sorry, Wrong Number. Here, uh, Smith, that's nice. That reminds me of the great RuPaul sign-off of click, dial tone, goodbye. <laughs> you must be crazy. Hang up. So, of course, Mr. Smith has no idea who they are because it's 1939. And they're just strangers who showed up at the Holloway's door. Who knows who those people are? Let's roll through to the end now, which is just so powerful, though nothing happens, right? Nothing happens. 
Nothing scary happens. The Holloways say, stay as long as you want. We just love you guys and <laughs> take whatever you want and we'll be back. We'll be back despite your hunches. There's a titanic feeling about it. And it's it's not even the time loop that's scaring you at this point. It's just that you know these people are going to their deaths. And the understated way in which it is written and acted out is very effective. You're not going out to sea in this kind of weather. Oh, we don't mind a little rain. My husband's a very good sailor, Mrs. Jordan. He can handle the Viking second in any kind of weather. It sounds like a gale coming up. No, we like them. Exciting. Well, it's dangerous to set out in this weather. They're very dangerous. Oh, now, don't worry about us. We don't drown easily. Oh, darling, we'd better get started. Oh, yes, yes. I, I'm all set. Uh, are the suitcases aboard? Yes, uh, Gabriel took them. Uh, uh, something's wrong with your grandfather clock. It, it only struck eight times. Uh, yes, it's correct. Now, my watch says eight o'clock, too. Well, how can that be? It's, it's after midnight. <laughs> you really are mixed up, Mr. Jordan. It's only eight o'clock. Well, my watch says one thirty. Uh, well, so does mine. I'm afraid ours is right, Mrs. Jordan. It's very old, but very accurate. Of course, there's a legend about it. The story is that it will sometimes go backwards in time. Has... Has that ever happened? <laughs> no. No, it's only a story. It's never gone anything but forward, like any other clock. But it's a nice story, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes, delightful. <laughs> Might even be true. Mrs. Holloway. Yes? Uh, what is today's date? What? I believe it's September 10th. What year? 1939, of course. 1939? Yes, yes, of course, Fred. Uh, Mrs. Holloway, I'd, I'd like to ask you and Mr. Holloway something. Yes? Please, please, don't go out on this trip you're planning. Why not? Because if you do, I, I don't think you'll ever come back. What? What a terrible thing to say. Please, Mrs. Holloway, please. I don't know what's wrong with you two. You came in here with a strange story about owning my house, and now you tell us we're never going to come back. She's right. You won't come back. You'll pardon me for saying so, Mr. Jordan, but I think you're both crazy. I don't care what you think, but please don't go. Why, Mrs. Jordan? I, I have a hunch about it. We don't believe in hunches. Well, it's more than a hunch, Mr. Holloway. I know you're not coming if back. If you'll excuse us, I think we'd better get started. Come along, darling. I'm ready. I've put everything on board. Is there anything else, sir? Uh, yes. Uh, just take care of our guests. See that they're comfortable. Goodbye, Gabriel. Goodbye, and pleasant voyage. Make yourself at home, and we'll be back, despite your hunches. Oh, you must go, please. Oh, they've, they've gone. If you wish, you can occupy the master bedroom. I'll go up and make it ready for you. This scene is great because it's eerie, but it also is the time loop of working on you. You need your PhD in astrophysics on this one. So when Eve asks them, Eva, what year is it? And Diana says it's 1939, and Fred's wigging out, and Eva just says to him, yes, yes, of course, dear. Of course it's 1939. When you first listen, you think, oh, she just doesn't want the Holloways to think they're weirdos. You know, she's covering up, but... Maybe, again, it's because she knows it is 1939. Of course it is. We know it's 1939. We're alive right now. What else, what other year could it be? So, yes, eerie, time loop. But 
then how does Fred not know that it's 1939? Why does that clearly hit him so strangely? Is it just Eva who really is, he doesn't remember, he's not really there? How could just one of them really be back then and the other one is not? One of them is really there and one of them is some visitor from the future. I don't know, I'll be frank with you because I think honesty is best policy here beside the cauldron. I don't know if this is bad writing or just the complexity of a time loop. All right, I don't have a degree in physics. But I do know that in a time loop, you are unaware of it. You are not aware that you are in a time loop. Well, then again, my watching of the X-Files tells me that you can briefly become aware of it. You have that deja vu feeling. Briefly, you kind of begin to glimpse that maybe you are caught in a time loop and then you're just caught up in it again. I'm going to go all the way out on the ledge here and say, here's my best take. That in 1939, when this first happened and the Jordans first encountered the Holloways all as perfectly normal living people, the Jordans at that time, and the first time it happened, they had some kind of premonition that something was going to go wrong. They really did. And they told the Holloways about it, and then disaster struck. When that disaster struck, it hit the Jordans so hard that they had had this weird premonition, and it had come true, and they had not been able to prevent it, that their regret and their wishing that things could have ended differently inaugurated a time loop. And they are the ones who started it. And so it's because of their feelings of guilt that they couldn't stop the thing that they saw coming, that they are now catching everybody in this time loop. And maybe they are the ones who are animating the house. They are the ones whose spirit keeps that clock wound up, keeps winding that clock and reanimating that house so that they can get a second chance. They want the second chance. And so that knowledge that the Holloways did die is still within them because that's what drives the whole thing. So even when they are really back in 1939 and they're doing it all over again, they're trying again to change the outcome, there can be little flickers of knowing that this is a redo and knowing that it can't possibly be 1939 again. It, It can't because time has passed because we're back here to prevent something from happening. So that means we must have been in the future. All right, this is not easy stuff. I wish that Ernest Chapel was here to help explain it, but that's what I'm going to go with. All of this thought spent on this little 26-minute episode of Entertainment Radio. To me, that's the beauty of it, the most simply told tale. That's the one that you can't help reliving and reliving and reliving and reliving in a radio loop, a radio time loop. And that petite theory of mine might explain why Eva reacts the way she does when, well, it might first explain why Fred is willing to go and immediately rewind that clock once they return to their, in quotes, own time. And why Eva has the reaction she does for one brief 
moment, you know, she's aware and like, oh God, no, let's not do this again. It's not going to work. We're never going to change their minds. Let's just stop trying. Don't touch that clock. But they will eventually touch the clock. They will. They have to. They have to keep trying. Was there anything else you wished, Mr. Jordan, ma'am? Uh, no, Gabriel, just go to bed. We'll, we'll sit here for a while. It's rather late, sir. Nearly midnight. By your clock, Gabriel, but it, it seems to have stopped. So it has. It needs rewinding. It's going now. Yes. Seems to be ticking rather fast. Something's wrong. It never did that before. Fred! Something's happening. The lights. Switch them on, Fred. As soon as I find the switch... What happened? I, I don't know. Maybe the storm, lightning. Where's Gabriel? Oh. Gabriel. Gabriel. Never mind, dear. Can't, can't you find the switch? Uh, here it is. Oh. Fred! Fred! All, all that dust. Like the first time we saw the house. It's as, it's as if no one had been here for years. Where's Gabriel? There. There is no Gabriel. We're back in 1946. And that means he's dead. You mean the clock did go backwards? Something else. You understand too now, don't you? We were the friends that Mr. Smith told us about. The mysterious friends that urged the Holloways not to go on that trip. Yes. Fred. What? The clock is stopped. Well, it needs rewinding. No, 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 don't touch it. We, we won't wind that clock again, ever. Yes, they say that, don't they? Every, every time. And every time they go to bed without winding the clock. And when they wake up, it's late afternoon and they're in a car driving through coastal Virginia looking for a house. And they see a big, beautiful, abandoned house, and they buy it. That's your time loop. Oh, it's nicely done. A good tale well told. And it, it didn't have a merger. It did manage to feature Midnight a couple of times. I think we got everything we could have asked for. Nicely done. We're in such a good mood that we're just going to roll with the crazy ending with the truly manic organ outro. And we're even going to relax over the fact that the, the announcer, of course, has to talk about how there was murder at midnight when there was no murder, though there were a few midnights. Let's let them have their day. A house without tenants except for the dead and the clock that runs backward in time. If it was your clock, would you wind it? Or are you afraid it would keep you up nights while you waited for it to strike 12 for... Murder at Midnight. <laughs>
and that was just one. You know that there's another one coming up. They did another one at the end. (laughs) Damn it, Murder at Midnight, know when to stop. Now, we're not going to play the entire... Let me scroll ahead. No, I'm not going to play. How long is that organ at the end? Almost 45 seconds? No, you've been through enough. We're not going to time loop that. If there's any part of this I would like to experience for infinity, it's not that organ at the end. We will only note that Anton M. Leder is the director, and that's a name you hear a few times in mid-century radio. He directed about five or six episodes of Suspense, including some good ones that are in the cauldron. And he did a, a number of Murder at Midnight episodes and something called Words at War, which ran during the war and was uh, the retelling of classic or just old stories uh, from literature that were either about war in a heroic way that you could apply to the Allied effort, or stories that were rewritten a little to apply, or once in a while, their own original writing of what they believed might be going on in Nazi Germany at the moment. So he directed, I think, all of the words at war, which ran from like 42 through 45, so a lot of those. So Anton M. Leder from Boston gave us tonight's episode, and I guess we have to thank him. Let's listen to that little Shout out to him and cut it off before that organ starts. Don't wind that organ. Remember to be with us again when death comes out of the past, out of time gone by, and the clocks strike twelve for... Murder! At midnight! The Jordans, husband and wife, were played by Vinton Hayworth and Elsie Hitz. With music by Bert Berman, Murder at Midnight was directed by Anton M. Leder. Yes, we will just brutally cut it off right there. Hey, we broke our time loop. We were able to stop that organ outro from happening. You know, I'm going to get pretty reflective here and say we are caught in a time loop when we go back and we listen to these old episodes, aren't we? listening to something over and over again that always has the same outcome that we can never change. And we're complicit in that loop. And in this case, we enjoy it. So it's always good when a story brings you into it and you become a part of it, whether you knew that was going to happen or not. All right, that was The House That Time Forgot. It seems like The House That Time is really remembering, but we enjoyed it and we're going to give it that title. Oh, it's satisfying. Season two has been good, right? Cauldron has not turned on us yet for season two, so, so far, so good. Let's hope that it remains smooth sailing in our Viking second season and that we don't drown easily. All right, before we go away, I just want to shout out to our very faithful listeners in Arizona, Texas, D.C., and Ohio. Thank you. Going to shout out to the people that I see coming back all of the time. Good looking out to all of you. And make sure that when you come back, you bring a friend. All right, let's all think about coming back next week. And you know what I'm going to tell you. It's to stay happy, and I'll see you soon. <laughs>